You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, So way, way back in 2012, former Republican Senator Rick Santorum of Pennsylvania, my old college roommate, was running for president. And for five minutes, he was the front runner, which resulted in a lot of Santorum surging headlines. And if you knew, you knew. And the people who wrote those Santorum surges in Iowa headlines, they were media people. So they knew. Anyway, back in 2012 and 2008, the Republican primaries were shit shows, clown car pileups on the interstate, joke candidate after joke candidate would briefly surge in the polls, be pronounced the front runner, get a couple of magazine covers and the kind of scrutiny that front runners are subject to and then fade away. Michelle Bachman, Herman Cain, Fred Thompson, Rudy Giuliani, whatever happened to her, Rick Santorum, all briefly front runners. But in 2008 and 2012, Republican voters came to their senses. They flirted with lunatics like Bachman and Santorum, but nominated John McCain in 2008 and Mitt Romney in 2012, which is why everyone in 2016 was, for the longest time, convinced that Trump would not be the Republican nominee like Bachman or Santorum or Giuliani. Trump may have been in the lead, but surely Republican voters would come to their senses and nominate some governor or senator, not the rapey clown in the orange rapey clown makeup. That didn't happen, of course, because as we learned in 2016, the Republican base is now all lunatic all the time. Turns out there's only so long you can crank up the rubes and dangerous lunatics in your base with conspiracy theories and racist dog whistles, which the GOP had been doing for 50 years before those dangerous lunatics and conspiracy theorists and racist rubes realize that they can nominate a dangerous lunatic and cut out the institutional middlemen. Anyway, I was thinking back to Santorum, surging in 2012. He won the Iowa caucuses that year. It was like watching a pig manure lagoon burst its banks. I was thinking about him because of something he said about birth control when he was running for president. When asked to distinguish himself from the other presidential hopefuls at the time, He said he would be a better president because he wouldn't just ban abortion. He would also ban birth control. It's on tape, but the sound quality isn't great, so I'm just going to read it. Here's Rick Santorum talking about birth control in 2012. Birth control, it's not okay. It's a license to do things in a sexual realm that is counter to how things are supposed to be. Now, Some anti-choice activists argue that birth control should be illegal because it prevents the implantation of a fertilized egg in the uterine lining, which actually naturally happens about 50% of the time without the use of birth control. If you believe life begins at conception, which a majority of justices on the Alabama Supreme Court do, where they just effectively banned IVF treatments in that state, you might oppose birth control because it gets the percentage of fertilized eggs that don't implant closer to 100%. But Santorum wasn't interested in fertilized eggs. He was interested in people doing things in a sexual realm that they aren't supposed to do, enjoying themselves. That's what he meant. He was bravely staking out a position against recreational sex, sex for pleasure, also known as most of the sex people have most of the time people are having sex. Santorum's comments about birth control led to a surge in headlines. Republicans were coming for your birth control, we wrote at the time. 
And we were told we were being hysterical. And of course, sensible Republicans weren't coming for anyone's birth control because sensible Republicans, remember sensible Republicans, they wanted to reduce the number of abortions. And there's a mountain of evidence that access to birth control is the best, fastest, and most effective way to bring the abortion rate down. So of course, sensible Republicans weren't coming for your birth control. And those of us out there arguing that that seemed to be what they were planning to do, those of us who took Rick Santorum and other leaders of the anti-choice movement seriously and literally, we were told we were just being crazy and hysterical. And it turns out they were coming for your birth control all along, just like we said, and not to save the fertilized eggs, but to punish people for having sex which again is the reason almost everyone has sex almost every time they have sex. Right-wing activist Christopher Rufo this week bravely staked out a position condemning recreational sex, which feminist writer and love cast guest Jill Filipovich endorsed. Egg demand. Here's Jill on Twitter. Sex is among the most popular recreational activities in the world, but I do hope that the conservative movement continues to be honest about their aims here. And they are being really honest about their aims. Mary Harrington, a writer, spoke at the Heritage Foundation last week about birth control and the Heritage Foundation, which is a very influential right-wing think tank, pushed her comments out on the internet because they wanted everyone to see them. Here's what she had to say. I struggle to see in what way that's in women's interests. And, and given the great many other things that, to my eye, are downstream of the entry into that paradigm, it seems to me that a good place to start would be a, the femi a feminist movement against the pill and for rewilding sex, returning the danger to sex, returning the intimacy, and, and really the consequentiality to sex. When they talk about bringing back the consequentiality of sex, what they mean by that, what she means by that, is bringing back deadly consequences. They want sex to be as dangerous as possible so that fewer people will risk it. Not because they hate abortion, but because they hate sex. It was never about abortion or never just about abortion. It was always about sex. That's why the same people who hate abortion and always hated abortion hated homos too. You would think that if what you hated most in the world was abortion, you would have a soft spot for gays. You might even love gays because whatever else we were doing – Sucking cock, fucking ass, doing drag. We weren't getting abortions. But they always hated us too, and they still do. And it's a tell. It always was a tell. We have sex for pleasure. All gay sex is recreational sex, and it's recreational sex. Sex for pleasure. Most of the sex people have, most of the time, that they hate. I actually am a little staggered that we are returning to a national debate over the merits of recreational versus procreational sex. That is a debate I remember adults having when I was a small child in the 70s. It was really all adults could talk about then. Books were written, editorials. There were debates on TV with birth control advocates and Catholic archbishops arguing about the merits of recreational versus procreational sex and whether recreational sex was ever legitimate. Until one day, it seemed everyone admitted all at once what we all kind of sort of knew all along, except for maybe once or twice in your life or six or seven times if you're a Santorum or 20 or 25 times if you're a Duggar, you're just having sex for fun. People are always going to have sex and have always had sex for fun, even when it was dangerous. 
what we want is for people to have fun in the safest possible way and to enjoy. That's the sex-positive agenda. When they talk about returning consequentiality to sex, what they mean is they want sex to be as risky and dangerous as possible. They want to return us to a time not just before safe and legal abortion. They want to return us to a time before access to effective contraceptives. They want to return us to a time before the HPV vaccine, which they opposed, a time before PrEP, a time before women's liberation and gay rights, and books about sex and easily accessed information about sexual health. When they talk about consequences and returning consequentiality to sex, they mean negative consequences, bad outcomes. Whatever they can do to make sex riskier, to make it deadlier, they're going to do it. And then they're going to turn around and call themselves pro-life because there is no end. There is no bottom to their gall. All right, coming up on today's show on the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your Q, lots of my A, and joining us on the Magnum, comedian Hope Woodard drops in to explain her boy sober movement. All that coming up on today's show. This episode of the Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, the very best tool for trimming your body hair. Go to meridiangrooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. We're partnering with NoCD to raise awareness about OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts about your relationship stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away. That's OCD. Breaking the OCD cycle takes effective treatment. Go to nocd.com slash savage to learn more. Hi, everybody. I'm calling in uh, around the time of the Super Bowl, and I'm just curious to know where did stereotypes about uh, gay men in particular uh, not being interested in sports come from? A guy I know who's gay was asking him if he was going to watch the Super Bowl. And he said to me something along the lines of, are you kidding? I'm gay. So I was just wondering, what's up with this stereotype? I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I watched Couple to Threpple on Peacock. And if somebody had burst into the house like the Kool-Aid man through the wall to demand a quick answer as to why our television was not on the Super Bowl, but was on Couple to Thruple, I'm sure that me and my husband's boyfriend would have looked up from the couch and said, we're gay? That's the shorthand answer? We are not interested in pro sports? We're not interested in the Super Bowl? As stereotypes go, gay men aren't interested in pro sports. There's several hundred million grains of sand there. Hundred million grains of truth there. Most gay men aren't interested in pro sports. What I think is the question we should be asking is why so many straight men are so interested in pro sports? Why do so many straight men have these insane parasocial relationships with pro athletes? Why are so many straight men obsessed with what to me looks like, or not obsessed with, but living vicariously through pro sports? What sort of emotional and homosocial needs 
do pro sports meet for straight men that gay men who get their homosocial needs met in very different ways aren't as reliant on? I think there's an interesting question and an interesting tell. As a gay man, I can touch another man, throw my arm around another man, hug another man without the Oakland Athletics or the Chicago Cubs having to score a run or a touchdown or get the ball in the basket. But there's a lot of straight guys out there who are really hungry for connections with other men and to have those kinds of friendships. And also I think that kind of friendly but not necessarily sexual touch. And yeah, this is how they get it. There are lots of straight guys on Sunday who watched the game who got hugged by other men. And that happens for them but once a year when their team wins. And I think that's really interesting. I think the way straight men are so into pro sports, it's not just about sports and competition, although a lot of straight guys had better experiences in grade school and high school playing organized sports and being on teams as opposed to the kinds of athletic pursuits that appeal to a lot of gay men, diving, cycling, swimming, which are really the person competing against themselves. It's not necessarily a team sport. And that appeals to a lot of gay men in a way that the football team, the baseball team, the basketball team, the volleyball team, the rugby team, the water polo team does not, despite the aesthetics of the water polo team. Anyway, yeah. I don't think the question should be what's up with gay men and why don't they like watching the Super Bowl or why aren't they watching the Super Bowl? I think the real question we need to be asking is why are so many straight men watching the Super Bowl? Hi, Dan. I have a question about my dad, some family drama. I've never had to deal with this before, so I'm hoping that you could help. Uh, last summer, for context, my dad met someone, a female, who's roughly 20 years younger and was living out of her car at the time. She's an ex-stripper and has shown signs of psychological illness. She was arrested in the fall for trespassing and have it, she was having a schizophrenic episode on a neighbor's property, accusing him of harboring her children and putting them to work. So she was arrested and taken into the psychological unit in the hospital and apparently she got out or was released because my dad has invited her to live with him. He lives alone. He's almost 60. He's been single for a really long time. This woman looks like his type or people that he's dated in the past. And she's a massage therapist. She massages my dad apparently. And he's says like, oh, I'm just like doing the Christian thing by taking this person in who needs housing. And also I like the company and she cleans my house and she massages me and I'm not interested romantically, but like that's not, that can't be true because it's, it's what, it's my dad. Like he's a man. So my brother and I are really concerned. He's like referring to his house as our house now, her and him. She says that she's, and also they live in a remote area, and she says she's up there just waiting for a court 
thing to get settled because apparently she's the heiress of an estate, but it's been years apparently that she's been waiting and there's no sign of when she's going to like leave. I haven't been able to do a background check on her, but my brother and I are really concerned. We just have this gut feeling like this is bad. She's shown signs of having questionable character. We're concerned for our dad's safety and he's stubborn. Like anything we say to him, he's just like, well, this is what I want to do. Or like, I'm just being a good Christian. So my brother and I were talking and it's like, okay, do we need to like put our foot down and like not see our dad for this time? Or like what, what can we do? We feel helpless and all we want is for her to go away. If she is the terrible person with terrible motives that you perhaps have some reason to suspect she might be, refusing to see your dad is doing her a favor, right? What someone who is engaged in elder abuse or moving in on someone in hopes of robbing them blind and taking everything that they own What they need, or one of the things that they typically do, is attempt to isolate their victim from friends, family, from somebody who might argue with them about what it is that they're doing or be able to point out to them the fucked up things that they see going on when they visit. And, you know, once that person passes out of the love is blind, besotted stage, maybe the friends and family, maybe the children, the adult children pointing out what's fucked up about this relationship will finally break through and dad will see that dad's being a fool and turn this terrible person out. If indeed this person is terrible, but I got to say 60 ain't that old, right? And a 20 year age gap ain't unheard of in my house. So I wonder if your discomfort isn't the discomfort of the adult child who would prefer that their father retire from sex and desire. Yeah, clearly your dad is having a sexual relationship with this woman. And perhaps it's a transactional sexual relationship. Perhaps it's equal parts your dad being a good Christian and your dad using the economic advantages that your dad possesses to leverage out of this woman services that he enjoys. And maybe this woman who was living in her car and has a certain skill set, she's a massage therapist, is leveraging that skill set and her willingness to do chores to not have to live in her fucking car anymore. And they're using each other and benefiting. Some mutual benefit is happening here. What you want to watch out for is anything exploitative. You want to watch out for your dad's credit history. You want to make sure your dad's social security number isn't tattooed on this woman's thigh yet. You want to be there for your dad and just say, Hey, look, this is great. You have companionship. You're getting massages. You enjoy your company. We want you to be happy. We don't want you to be lonely or isolated, but you know what? We also don't want you to do anything stupid like Make her the executor of your estate. Like, put her in the will. Like, marry her. Don't do any of that, Dad, and we won't have a problem. If you start doing stuff like that, then 60, you probably can't have your dad declared incompetent. But you could make 
life unpleasant for your dad. And you could make life unpleasant for this woman if you think this woman is exploiting your dad by showing up and getting in your dad's face about what is what you see that is going on. And based on just what you said, though, I don't see anything necessarily terribly problematic going on. He's not giving her money. He's not buying her shit. He's not marrying her. He's just letting some woman who needed a place to stay live in his house. You should spare a little bit of concern for her to make sure your dad isn't exploiting her in a way that is harmful to her. I think you should think about that just a little bit too, as much as you might not like this woman, as much as you know the red flags that are waving in front of your face, the concerns that I think are legitimate that you have about what her long-term strategy might be, totally legitimate, but also spare a moment to think about whether your dad is the asshole here, which is possible, but keep showing up. Don't cut your dad off. Don't refuse to see your dad because you don't like his 40 something girlfriend and you don't approve of the relationship that he as an adult has entered into of his own free will, even if it is a kind of transactional relationship. And don't assume that just because your dad enjoys having the house clean and enjoys these massages and enjoys this woman company that he's falling in love with this woman or interested in her romantically. You say, you know, your dad is a man. Have you met men? Men are perfectly capable of accepting massages and housework and enjoying the company of women that they don't have deep romantic feelings for. That's something men often get dinged for or criticized for. So just because your dad is hanging out with this woman doesn't mean your dad is necessarily in love with this woman. Have that conversation with your dad too. What is it, you go to your dad, what is it that you need to see from your dad so that you are more comfortable with this relationship and with this woman living in the house? What assurances do you want from your dad that will make you more comfortable and then more open to, even if this woman annoys you, we all have family members who annoy us that we make the best of those relationships to keep the peace with other family members who are less annoying. What do you need to see from your dad? And instead of the leverage being, or you won't see us, the leverage is provide us with these assurances, set our minds at ease, and we will do our best to be more open and welcoming to this woman who has improved the quality of your life. You aren't having to clean your dad's bathrooms. You aren't having to arrange for people to come massage your dad. You aren't having to be your dad's only connection to the outside world and his only company. She is providing your dad with a lot of good things. Let your dad have this. Your dad's 60 years old. You want somebody to talk to, you want somebody to touch him, and he's got somebody for that. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the website design platform that has thought of what you need before you have. Whether you run a gallery or a winery, a restaurant or an event space, their ticketing system makes it easy to manage events and timed entry. Or maybe you're selling products. You can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream that engages your audience and scales your brand. Design your products, and then production, inventory, and shipping are handled for you, saving you time and money. And Squarespace connects to all the socials. Easily display social network profile links, letting your customers follow you on every major network. A variety of presentation styles helps keep your site design consistent and helps you manage your email list. And finally, use Squarespace's analytics tools to find out how everything is working. 
I could go on and on. Go to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan and Nancy. I'm a 58-year-old straight cis male. I've been single for a little over two years after a breakup that really hit me hard. The relationship was the best one I've ever known until it was the worst. So I've spent the better part of two years doing a lot of internal work while grieving the loss of an experience that changed my whole world. I haven't been emotionally fit for any kind of serious dating, but recently I've gotten back into the dating world, ready and open to finding that special someone. And here's my conflict. Before my previous partner, I was a very enthusiastic, creative vanilla, vanilla with sprinkles. But early in this recent relationship, my girlfriend began confiding fantasies that she'd never told anyone about before. Fantasies about being owned, about being punished, submissive, restrained, fantasies of impact play. I initially resisted because it just didn't feel right to strike someone or to treat a woman as lesser, but she persisted and we began exploring together. I very quickly found that I had a real skill and a craving for this new kink lifestyle. We covered a lot of new ground together, and our connection deepened. I feel like something deep woke up in me, and well, now I don't think I can ever go back to Kansas. Our breakup was unrelated to any of this. So now I'm on a couple of regular dating apps, and I've made the choice to build profiles that include references to my kink needs among all the other usual relationship stuff. As you can imagine, it's been pretty quiet. And the hits that I do get are usually from women who only skimmed, and when they do read the fine print, they bolt. I'm going to stick to my guns on this, though. I've tried alternative dating sites, and they seem to lean way too far in the other direction. Too much kink, not enough real. So my question is twofold. Am I shooting myself in the foot by revealing this information so early in my profile. I feel like it should be out there up front so I'm not deceiving anyone. And it feels like I'd be wasting everyone's time if I waited until we're invested three or four dates before bringing up what is potentially a hard stop. Or am I clinging too tenaciously to this desire and filtering out perfectly good vanilla partners who might never be interested in playing like this? Is this a need that could fade if other things are really great? feels like it runs pretty deep to my core. For years, I've said that you meet two kinds of guys. I'm going to talk about gay kinksters for a second. You meet two kinds of kinky gay guys at big kinky gay events like International Mr. Leather or Folsom San Francisco. You meet the guys who were tying themselves up when they were 12, and you meet the guys who fell in love with those guys and then grew into kink. Most of those the guys who are tying themselves up when they were 12, the guys who fell in love with those guys who are still together and now at IML together. Most of those guys met when they were, you know, relatively young, talking 20s, 30s. And there was time for the relationship to evolve into something that, you know, where their little Venn diagram of mutual sexual interest or shared sexual interests looked less like Mickey Mouse hats and more like a circle. But that takes time. You're 58 years old. You're not going to be dead soon, but dating somebody who's vanilla in the hopes that you will grow into kink together in time, 
that growing into kink together in a way that doesn't make the vanilla partner feel rushed or pressured or coerced takes years and years. And you're 58 fucking years old. You don't have that kind of time to waste or invest in a relationship that isn't going to meet your deep-seated sexual needs. And so, yeah, I would encourage you to put this out there. But when you put it out there on a vanilla dating site, that is going to turn off even people who might be interested in kink because it just seems to demonstrate one of my hobby horses talk about all the time, poor judgment. Even other kinky people will look at that and say, that's just not something people do here on OkCupid. They just don't throw out there, I'm into impact play on OkCupid. I'm into impact play. I wouldn't put that on my OkCupid profile because nobody would respond to your OkCupid profile. And so someone is going to infer who also may be kinky from seeing your kinks itemized on your dating profile at a default vanilla site they're going to infer from that the kind of poor judgment that makes them not want to date you, even if they might want to be spanked by some hot 58-year-old dude. So I would dial it way the fuck back on the vanilla sites. Say that you're sexually adventurous and looking for the same. And then somebody wants to go on a few dates with you, you will eventually have to have that conversation about what sexual adventure looks like for you, and you'll figure out if there's any overlap but get on field, get on FetLife, get on the kinky sites too, and get out of the house. Find the local BDSM or kink organization in the city where you live, if you're lucky enough to live in a big enough city that, that has a local kink org. And if you aren't lucky enough to live in a city big enough to have a kink social group or organization that hosts munches, and events where people can, in a low-key, low-stakes, nobody's being hurried into play way, meet and chat. Get in your car and drive to the big city, the nearest big city that has that kind of organization that hosts, particularly it's munches you want to look for. Munches are informal meetings, people not in fetish wear or gear. No, It's not a play party. No play is going to happen. It's just meeting and talking and hanging out, and everyone at a munch is there in their normal clothes, uh, they're often in the afternoons, on the weekends. The baseline is, we're all kinky. Now let's see if we click in other ways, or there's that, you know, that certain ephemeral something, that spark of attraction. And then we don't have to stress about rolling out the fact that we're kinky to that person that we sparked with, because you met at a munch. Of course you're kinky. And so are they. You got to move on all fronts. So stay on the vanilla profiles, go on some dates, hang out with some people. You haven't committed a crime if you go on three dates with somebody and then you get to that conversation about sexual interests or expectations and realize that you're not a match. That happens all the fucking time. And then meet some people off the kinky sites. Let go of your own kink shame around the kinky sites and go to those munches. Most of the people I know who are your age, who are straight, who are into BDSM, bondage, impact play, most met their partners, partners they met in their 40s, in their 50s, at munches and other events run by kink organizations. Tell the truth on the kink sites, a little bit of a gloss on the vanilla sites, and get thee to a munch. Go. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, my new favorite tool for shaving down there. Meridian offers powerful trimmers that cut through even the coarsest hair, but 
Their trimmers are gentle enough for your privates. You'll enjoy a comfortable shave below the belt with no nicks, cuts, or ingrowns. Meridian trimmers are for men, they're for women, they're for non-binary folks, and they're for any style, whether you prefer completely bare, neatly trimmed scruff, or a well-rounded bush. This high-quality waterproof trimmer is fitted with a 6,000 RPM motor, safe ceramic blades, and an anti-nick shaving guard. And Meridian has so many happy customers, over 1,000 five-star reviews online. With the Meridian trimmer, you can get your body hair looking just how you like it and feel good and sexy with your fuzz. Get a Meridian trimmer today for the ultimate trimming experience without the pain, discomfort, or awkwardness. Order now and take control of your grooming routine on your own terms. Listeners of the Savage Lovecast get an extra 15% off your order using the coupon code SAVAGE. Go to M-E-R-I-D-I-A-N grooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. You deserve a better and safer below-the-belt trimming experience, and with Meridian Trimmer, you can get one today. Hey, Dan. Late 50s gay guy from the Midwest here. My problem is that I can't orgasm with my partner. We've been together for 16 years, and for most of those years, our sex life was great, and I had no problem coming with him. But the last couple years, our sex life has gotten pretty routine, and to be honest, boring. And I was having a hard time finishing with him. And I've talked about it with him and like, let's mix things up. Let's change the script. And he's down for all of that. And he's been super understanding. Like he doesn't take it personally if I don't finish. And sometimes he doesn't finish, but it hasn't been a problem for me for most of our relationships. So it's kind of getting in my head. I have no problem like finishing when I'm masturbating on my own. It does take me a little bit longer than when I was younger and I need to apply a bit more pressure, you know, and maybe that's because I'm getting older. But anyway, it's been like a year since I've actually orgasmed with him and I'm kind of getting in my head right now. Like, I don't know, you know, what to do and just wondering if you have any advice. If you can come when you wank... You should be able to come with your partner by wanking with your partner or wanking next to your partner or wanking on your partner. You have a huge advantage in that you're able to say to your partner after 16 years and things kind of winding down in the last couple of years, you were able to say the two words that a lot of people feel they can't say to their sexual partner. I'm bored and we need to do something about that. How can we shake this up? Your partner was really receptive to that feedback, probably because he was bored too. Sometimes you say I'm bored to somebody and they feel personally attacked and they feel like you're telling them that they're failing you as a sex partner. And sometimes you say, look, I'm bored. And they look at you and say, me too. And then you have that epiphany where you realize that you're going to have to link arms and create that sense of sexual adventure that was kind of built into the relationship early on. And then you coasted on for years and then your sex life sort of ran on the fumes of that intensity of what everything was like when you first met for years after basically the coasting stopped. And now you got to do something, something intentional together to kick it back in. What does that look like? You say that he's down for shaking it up for breaking out of your routines, but you don't say how you shook it up or how you broke those routines, what you're doing and doing differently. It may be that you're just not doing 
enough differently and that your routines are only fractured, not broken. And so if there's more changes that you guys could make, adventures you could go on together, go to a sex club together. Even if you have a sexually exclusive relationship, you can have sex in a different kind of environment than your home and bask in the eroticism of this environment, the strangeness, the danger, get that adrenaline pumping along with the stress hormones, but also the endorphins, and then see if that doesn't push you over the edge. All that said, you know, you're in your late 50s. Your dick is not the dick it was in your 40s or 30s or 20s or teens. Often as men age, it becomes harder for them to climax and rather than just accepting that they're going to have to work with that or dial it up in different ways to get themselves to the edge, they say, oh, there's something wrong with my relationship or there's something fatally wrong with me or I'm falling apart. And my prescription is to fire on all cylinders. You know, when you're 20 years old and horny and with somebody, you often have to be careful that you don't accidentally come. When you're 50 and horny and with somebody that you're into, you find yourself kind of pushing your toward that orgasm. You begin to worry not about accidentally coming, but accidentally not coming. And that's where you are. You may need now to add things that weren't a part of your sexual repertoire when you were 20 and 30 and in your 40s because they didn't need to be. Because getting to that point of orgasmic inevitability wasn't difficult. Or you spent the first 20 years of your sexually active life trying to not come too soon to last. And so you've carved this groove where subconsciously what you're thinking is don't come too soon. Don't come too soon. Not, I don't, not too much stimulation because we don't want to come too soon. And you may still be doing that at an age when now you need more stimulation to get yourself there. So are you into tit play? Do you like having a butt plug in dirty talk? You may have been able to come just from fucking your partner 16 years ago. You could just, pound him out and blow your load. Now you may be pounding him out and you may need a vibrating plug in your own ass and clamps are on your own tits or his fingers on your tits and the freedom to say the filthiest fucking shit out loud to each other and engaging your ears, your tits, your ass while you're fucking will firing on all those cylinders will get you over the edge that in your 20s you were afraid of falling over by accident. But now in your 50s, you kind of need help getting to that edge and falling over it. And all those other ways, all those other erogenous sounds, all those other ways of engaging can supplement, you know, just those nerve endings in your dick that used to be all you needed. But circling all the way back to the beginning of my answer, if you can come when you wank, you can wank with your partner and come with your partner. Wanking together, mutual masturbation, solo masturbation, side by side while you kiss or talk or just be together, that's also good sex and sex that you can enjoy as you get older and older, which is what you're going to do. We're partnering with NoCD to raise awareness about OCD. OCD is more than what you see on TV and in the movies. Imagine having unwanted thoughts about your relationship stuck in your head all day long, no matter how hard you try to make them go away. That's relationship OCD. It comes with unrelenting intrusive images, thoughts, and urges about your partner or loved one. If you think you may be struggling with relationship OCD, there's hope. 
NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure response prevention therapy, the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists. It's affordable, and they accept most major insurance plans. Breaking the relationship OCD cycle takes effective treatment. To get started with NoCD, go to nocd.com slash savage. That's nocd.com slash savage to book a free 15-minute call today. Hi, Dan. Late 20s cis straight male here from the UK. I'm currently backpacking in Asia for a couple of months while my girlfriend of five years is back home. I'm having the time of my life, but she wants to chat every day when I'm trying to have fun and spends every call complaining about how her life sucks right now. I want to support her, but she feels like a major buzzkill. When we're together, it's great, but she, or I guess we, suck at long distance. Recently, a younger woman was into me, and after travelling as friends for a week, last night I fucked up, Dan. Or rather, I fucked her. It wasn't even that great, or, or worth it. Even before I cheated, I was feeling unsure about engagement, marriage, kids, the whole shebang. Forever feels like such a long time, and I want to move to a different city, while she can't. But I also love my girlfriend and don't want to throw away five years. It just feels like ring it or fling it at this point. Now, I've cheated and I feel like absolute shit, but don't know what to do. Do I break up with her and tell her, not tell her? Stay with her and tell her and not tell her? I, I have no idea. Help me, Dan. Ring it or fling it? Never heard that expression before. The, how is that not already the name of a reality dating marriage television show? Ring it or fling Fling it. Look, you definitely want to throw away the five years you've had with your girlfriend. I mean, you don't, you don't throw those years away. I was in a relationship once for five years that ended. My ex and I, we're still friends. We have dinner. We hang out. There's a couple of projects we've worked on together. And we're able to chat and sometimes chat about old times and those years together. They're not lost to us. Even if we weren't the kind of exes who can hang out and talk and share and we didn't speak, those years still wouldn't be lost to me. They're part of my history and they are my memories. But if you're fucking other girls while you're away, you're slamming your dick down on the self-destruct button there. You want out of this relationship. You don't want to marry this girl. You're in your 20s because you don't want to throw those five years away. You're going to throw the next 50 years away in a relationship with somebody that you can't see yourself with over time, you're going to stay in that relationship for the rest of your life for fear of losing somehow the last five years? No, no, look, you need to tell your girlfriend as soon as possible, perhaps before you get home, that you can't talk every day. And in fact, you want to break up and you're sorry to do it this way. You're sorry that you're not home and you can't do it face to face but this is what's on my heart and I need to share it. And yeah, you're going to have a little bit of a reputation with your mutuals for being this asshole who broke up with her while you were off backpacking, but nobody likes to get broken up with ever in any way at any time. And your girlfriend, your ex-girlfriend at this point could tell just as terrible a story about what an asshole you are. If you wait until you come home from your backpacking adventure to break up with her, because she will know that that was a decision you made at some point on that trip. And you were shining her on, you were leading her on, you were not being truthful with her. 
and made her wait for you to get back before you told her. Just nobody likes to get broken up ever in any way. And they will always find some fault in how or when you decided to do it. So long as you're not ghosting her, as long as you're telling her the truth. And look at it this way. She may right now have met a man who could love her, who would ring it, not fling it for her, with her. And she passed on that guy because she's with you. And she's expecting that you will perhaps ring it as soon as you get back. And that's not the case. The sooner you set her free, the sooner she can grieve the terrible loss that is the loss of you, right? And move on and perhaps then meet somebody else who is right for her, who wants her in the way that she wants to be wanted and deserves to be wanted. You fucked somebody else on this backpacking trip already. You want out. Your dick wants out. You're leveraging yourself out of this relationship with your dick. You are Archimedes. Give me a place to stand and a lever and I can move the world. The place to stand is your vacation. The lever is your dick and you've leveraged yourself out of this relationship. Don't draw it out. If you loved your girlfriend, if you like your girlfriend, if you want the best for her, you need to break up with her and break up with her now. You need to fling it. So my question revolves around the topic of dick pics. Not so much the sending or receiving of them, whether they're appropriate or not, but actually within the term itself. Being that I think that it's a term that's kind of worn out and getting old. So in the spirit of queer innovation and coming up with new fun words and terms that, you know, don't have to do with adding to the long list of the LGBTQIABCDFG, I've come up with one uh, that I personally find kind of quirky and fun, but I wanted your opinion first. So my vote is that we start using the word dicture, D-I-K-T-U-R-E, as an alternative to that tired old term of dick pic. What do you think? I loved The Favorite, starring Olivia Coleman and Emma Stone, because of course I did. It's about Queen Anne, one of the last, or the last, Stuart monarch, and I'm a big fan of the Stuarts. <laughs> anyway, they used the expression in The Favorite, cuntstruck, to mean that somebody was just so besotted with this woman that they were struck dumb, cuntstruck, so attracted to this person they couldn't think clearly. And then after hearing construct for the very first time on the favorite, I think whoever wrote the screenplay for the favorite came up with that themselves. They used the expression construct in an episode of succession with Brian Cox, which I also loved. Anyway, I bring up construct because when you said dicture, I didn't think a picture of a dick. I thought being dicture, you're sure about this dick. You're sure you want this dick. I don't think you're Neologism is going to take off. Dick pick. It's good. It's percussive. It flies out of your mouth. You spit dick pick and everybody knows exactly what you mean. It's hard to get dick sure to roll out of your mouth correctly. And it's confusing because it doesn't sound like picture. Dick sure to me sounds like not quite, doesn't mean quite the same thing as cunt struck. Somebody struck dumb. They're so attracted to a vulva haver person that they are construct dick sure is not quite dick struck, but it sounds like somebody is really sure about that dick. 
That's some good dick. That's some dick I gotta have or I wanna have again. The dick that that man says he's bringing, it is for sure dick. It is good dick. It is dick sure. That's what I would hear every time somebody used dick sure instead of dick pic. So I say we stick with dick pic for those dick pics, but I say we take your least hominin version, dick sure, we take it and we use it to mean good dick that you're sure about. Dick that's always hard when you need it to be hard. Dick you can rely on. Dick sure. So I approve, sort of. And yes, I am the neologism boss and the final and ultimate authority of all sexual neologisms. And so you get 50%. I like these two syllables side by side. Dick sure. I just don't think they are going to mean what you hoped they would mean. Not going to mean dick pic. It's going to mean dick you're sure about. And that ruling is final. There is no court of appeals. I am the court of appeals and I am the Supreme Court and I'm issuing this ruling all at once. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of listener comments about last week's show posted at savage.love. In regards to our ongoing conversations about the disconnect and growing disconnect between men and women, says Snowflake, there are a lot of straight people out there, myself not included, who still think sex equals PIV that ends when the dude comes. And there are a lot of women, myself included, out there who don't usually come from PIV. It is an ongoing cultural problem. And it's one we're going to have to solve if we ever want to close the orgasm gap. The orgasm gap. Men and women, when they get together and have sex, he has an orgasm. Women, by and large, mostly, especially with new sexual partners, new encounters, do not. But there's no orgasm gap in even brand new hookups when you're talking about women getting together with women. So, guys got to do something about that. Says by Dan Fan, this alternative Gen Xer simply can't hear the phrase slide into their DMs and not interpret it as stick your feet into their Doc Martens. And in the context of the woman who wants to rehome their fetish sandals, this association is hilarious indeed. Just thought I'd share. I'm going to spare you what pops into my head when someone says slide into their DMs. I've heard that once or twice in my head as slide into their BMs, I will let you wrestle with those mental images all by yourself. Not going to impact that any further. Says Cruella DeFil, Dan, this week's intro may have been my favorite of all time. Thank you for pointing out that housing scarcity is the biggest barrier to equitable access to housing and that it's worse in blue cities and states. There are things we can do to make a difference. Every single election is an opportunity to vote for more housing. We can get involved in our local YIMBY groups, show up at city council meetings, and speak out in favor of more housing. Vote for candidates who want to allow market rate housing to be built to keep up with demand. All right. For more listener comments and more of my responses, check out Struggle Session, a weekly bonus column for Magnum Subs. goes up every Thursday at savage.love. And every Thursday at the bottom of Struggle Session, you will find our Muppet-faced man of the week, just another perk for Magnum Savage Lovecast subscribers. And now, listener response calls. Response for the woman who went on the date with a guy who didn't respect her boundaries. I have a very different perspective on this situation. This woman was very clear before even going home with this guy what her boundary was, and he immediately tried to push that boundary without initially even asking I think there is absolutely no scenario in which if somebody tells you what their boundary is, a person can try and progress past that boundary. 
It absolutely needs to be the person who set the boundary, who makes the move if they change their mind on that boundary. So this guy simply did not listen to what she said. I've been in this situation so many times with shitty men who really just don't care what your boundary is and just want to do whatever they can to get what they want in that moment. So I think this guy sucks. Uh, I am really proud of this woman for saying something to him about it. It is possible that nobody's ever held him accountable for this behavior before. So who knows? Maybe he can change. But I think if this woman is going to go on another date with him uh, or hook up with him again, she needs to set some really firm boundaries again for a few dates to see if he follows those. And if he doesn't, that motherfucker is out. Hey Dan, I'm calling in response to episode 904, specifically regarding the question about why it might be that men fetishize women's feet more than women fetishizing men's feet. I think that this is like highly common across the world. When you look around the world, ankles and wrists are especially fetishized in Eastern Asian countries. In addition to that, being pale was considered beautiful and gorgeous because that meant you weren't out in the sun. So it's only a natural extension of that to think that if your feet are beautiful and manicured, that means you're not out working in the fields. I say this as somebody that works in labor. I believe that there is some kind of inherited patriarchal situation going on here where men kind of like the idea of a woman being pure. Hey, that was great advice to the caller whose wife only wants to have sex in the shower. I like everything you said, but you left out one possible thing, which is that for some women, their partners, their male partners can be kind of stinky and a very tactful way of making sure that they're that they don't repulse you when they want to have sex with you is for you to suggest that they shower but that can be very off-putting and rather insulting so a lot of women have learned to say hey let's take a shower together so just on the off chance that one of the reasons your wife prefers to have sex in the shower is that that way she can ensure that you are nice and clean and good smelling make sure that you're taking showers that you're taking them regularly, that you take one right before you start the conversation, you take one solo, before you have that conversation about how you're going to be doing everything else in terms of creating the intimacy before you guys have sex someplace outside of the shower. And we're going to leave it there. We've got three ways for you to get us your questions or comments for future shows. You can record your question at savage.love slash askdan, or you can make a voice memo on your very own phone and email us your question or comment to q at savage.love, or you can call us on our landline and leave us a message at 206-302-2064. Hump 2024, the best dirty little porn film festival in the world, opens this weekend in San Francisco and Portland, Oregon. While continuing its run in Seattle, I will be hosting in Portland at Revolution Hall this weekend and hosting shows in San Francisco the following weekend. Then Hump moves on to Albuquerque, Madison, Long Beach, Denver, Oakland, Bellingham, New York, Baltimore, Missoula, Vancouver, and more cities to find out when Hump is coming to your town. Go to humpfilmfest.com and click on tour dates. Grab tickets now to the funniest, kinkiest, dirtiest, and most entertaining Hump yet. Again, at humpfilmfest.com. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me on Blue Sky at Dan Savage. And you can still find me 
at the bad place at fake Dan Savage. Follow Hope Woodard on Instagram and Threads and TikTok at just hoping along. That's J U S T H O P I N A L O N G. And Hope's next boy sober event takes place at Purgatory in New York City tonight, Tuesday, February twenty seventh, at eight p.m. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.